0: Will you please turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation? We will read from chapter 21, from verse 1 through verse 8. Revelation, chapter 21. Verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea exists no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud cry, voice out of the heavens, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he shall tabernacle with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall not exist anymore. Nor grief, nor cry, nor distress shall exist anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he says to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. It is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that athirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be to him God, and he shall be to me, son. But to the fearful and unbelieving, and sinners, and those who make themselves abominable, and murderers, and fornicators, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part is in the lake Which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And the final word Revelation 22, verse 20. He that testifies these things says, Yea, I come quickly. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. Dear Lord, as we gathered here this morning, we realize that throughout all these centuries and generations, People who love thee, constrained by the love, are waiting for thy return. Lord, twenty centuries have passed. We are here, still waiting. Oh, dear Lord, we wonder why. Why is it that thou dost delay thy return? Thou hast promised that thou will come back and take us to thyself, O oh, dear Lord, we thank Thee for thy patience, thy long patience with us. We do realize that it is not thou who delays. it is we who delays thee. O oh, Lord, forgive us. What can we say, Lord? We want thee to return. But we are not ready. Thou who knowest the heart of man, thou who lookest upon our hearts, thou knowest our condition, We have delayed thee. Oh, we have sinned against thee. We have sinned against the saints of the past. Lord, forgive us. This morning, as we gather here, Lord, Do create within us a clean heart, a heart that is pure unto yourself, a heart that really loves thee, loves to see thee more than anything else, Lord. Will not I remove anything that leads us away from thee, Lord? Oh, dear Lord, make us a people that are really waiting and hastening. Not delaying, Lord, but hastening thy return. Only thy grace can do that. Only thy judgment can do that we yield ourselves to thee this morning with one heart and one cry, come within the days when we are here waiting, longing for thee. We pray, Lord, this, this morning, thou we reveal thy glory to us. We ask in thy precious name Yesterday morning, we considered together before the Lord of the prospect of his coming again. We do thank God for sending his son into this world. We do thank God for the coming, the first coming, Of our blessed Lord. He came. To declare his father to us. That we may know him. He came to proclaim. To the meek. And lowly. The gospel. He came to bore in His own body our sins and deliver us out of death, bring us into life. We thank Him because He was obedient to His Father, even unto death, and that the death of the cross. The Father, the Father has highly exalted him and has anointed him as Lord and Christ, giving him a name that is above every name and to that name every knee shall bow. Every time you shall confess, Jesus is Lord. Oh, how we thank God for what he has accomplished during his first coming. And we do thank God knowing that our Lord Jesus has completed his mission. All that is needed to be done during his first coming, has been done. He has laid the foundation for the fulfillment of the eternal purpose of God. But dear brothers and sisters, we also realize how necessary, how must, that our Lord Jesus Will come again. And his second coming is to complete the full purpose of God concerning him, his church, Israel, world, and even his enemy. We thank the Lord. For his first coming. And we thank the Lord knowing that he has promised us that he will come again. And this is something that we are waiting every day. On the one hand, it grieves our heart that for 20 centuries past, he was not able to return. On the other hand, we do praise and thank thee, him, knowing that he is our only hope. We find in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, it tells us, If only we have hope in this life, then we are the most miserable of all men. Why? Because we have believed in him. We are saved by his grace, and his love has constrained us to follow him, to leave the world behind us, and if our only hope is in this world, then truly we are the most reasonable of all men. We are the foolish one. The worldly wise, how they seek after the things of the world, at least they get something of the world. Temporally, passing, with griefs and sorrows. And yet there is something. But to us believers... In this world, we get nothing. So, dear brothers and sisters, it is the coming of our Lord Jesus again that really gives us hope. Our hope is not in this world. We do not live for the seen. We live for the unseen. We have enough intelligence to know that the seen is temporary, is passing, but the unseen is eternal. Thank God He has begotten us to a living hope. We are hoping for an inheritance. That is incorruptible, undecaying, unspoiling, reserved for those who believe in him, kept by his grace for that eternal blessing. Brothers and sisters, every time we think of the coming, again, of our Lord Jesus, it revives our faith. Truly, our faith has been severely tested. But thank God, the testing of our faith makes us find gold, knowing that our faith will soon become a fact. In this perilous world, the Bible tells us that our man's love will grow cold. No wonder, because of the difficulties of the time, because of the trials and tribulations, our love seems to grow cold. But thank God, every time, when we think of the love of God in Christ Jesus, He revives us. He keeps us in love with Him. So, dear brothers and sisters, it's very true. This matter of the coming again of our Lord Jesus, is our hope, our faith, and our love. Without that, how can we live? We are all waiting for Him. We know when He shall come, He will wipe away our tears. We will enter the joy of our Lord. The past will be gone. The future is eternal and bright. But dear brothers and sisters, in hoping for the return of our Lord Jesus, Is it just for ourselves? How often we find people singing or walking on the golden street, playing the harp, praising the Lord, enjoying His glory. Thank God all these are true. But brothers and sisters, if our waiting for the return of our Lord is for ourselves, then we are still self-centered. There is something so much bigger than ourselves. There is that eternal purpose that is involved. Thank God, his coming back again is to do with the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. Even before the foundation of the world, even there was time, even there was space, even there was anything. Thank God, he purposed in his heart. He will a will according to the good pleasure of himself. He laid down an eternal purpose, and throughout time he is working out that purpose. And thank God the first coming of our Lord Jesus. Lay the foundation for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. But His second coming is to complete that purpose, that God may be all and in all. So, dear brothers and sisters, this matter of our longing, our waiting, our hoping for his return is more than something just for ourselves. It is something for God, that God's eternal purpose may be fulfilled. During his first coming, We remember his Herod. John the Baptist. blew the trumpet and said. Behold. The Lamb of God. Slain from the sin. Of the world. Yes. When our Lord Jesus came the first time. He came meek and lowly he was born in a manger in Bethlehem that little city he was raised in Nazareth hilly country out of the way unknown and yet known by God even though he was sinless he began his ministry by going to Jordan and received baptism or repentance from John. John realized here was a man who had no need to repent. John realized that before that man, he was the one to be baptized. And yet our Lord Jesus said, let us fulfill our righteousness. This is the way that God will do. And this is the way that we will go. So there you'll find our Lord Jesus went to the River Jordan and received the baptism of repentance. No repenting for himself, but repenting for the sin of the world. During his ministry, how he suffered, how meek and how lowly He was a Lamb of God, ready to be sacrificed. He came to die, not to live. He was obedient to the Father, even unto death, and that the death of the cross. A lamb, pure and holy, slain from the foundation of the world. This is our Lord. At his first coming, the Bible tells us the word became flesh tabernacle among men, full of grace and truth. And then in the same chapter, John 1 16, 18 it says out of his fullness we receive grace upon grace. There is one word that characterizes his first coming. Grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth subsist in him. And that simply means that he brings grace to this world. He is grace. He is the only one who can. Give grace to us. Throughout his first coming, it is grace. Brothers and sisters, we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, but of him. How we praise and thank thee for the grace of God in Christ Jesus. How we thank thee that his grace is all sufficient. How we experience his grace day by day. That mocks his first coming. But, brothers and sisters, When he shall come again, he will come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, when you turn to Revelation, chapter 5, now, as we read but the book of Revelation, we know it is a book of prophecy. But the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And John, in that vision, on the island of Patmos, in chapter 4, He was taken in spirit up to heaven, and there he saw the glory of the God of creation. And in chapter five, he saw the glory of the redemption. Redemptive work of our Lord Jesus. He saw a man. No. God. Sitting on the throne of glory. And there in his hand. A little book. Sealed. With seven seals. And then he saw and heard an angel crying with a loud voice that can be heard throughout the universe. Who is worthy to take this book and to open the seal? But there was complete silence. No answer from heaven no answer from earth. No answer from underneath the earth. And John wept. Because he knew what it meant. That little book, sealed with Seven Seals, is nothing but the title deed. Of this world. Our God. Created. The world. The earth. Heaven and earth. He created. And he was the owner. He is the owner. Of this world. But somehow. There was a usurper. Upon this world. And he is licking through the sin of man. he is temporarily called the God of this world, the prince of this world, but he was a usur- he is a usurper. The ownership never leaves the hand of God, but is sealed. And the challenge was, who can take this book? Who can inherit it? Who can open the seal and expose the mysteries concerning this world and how to bring all things that God has created unto the feet of God. Nobody can. The angels were silent. It is beyond them. The earth was silent because all have sinned, come short, of the glory of God, the infernal under the earth, of course, he was rebelling, unworthy totally. John wept, brothers and sisters, if we understand what this scene is. We too will weep, knowing that there is no more hope for mankind. There is no more hope for all the created things. All have fallen away from God. No restoration, no recovery. And then John was comforted by one of the 24 elders and he said, weep not. Isn't that the glad tidings, the glorious gospel? Weep not. For there is the lion of the tribe of Judah He has overcome, and he is worthy to take the book and to open the seal. And behold, John saw before the throne, and the 24 elders, and the four living creatures, a little lamb, newly slain standing. Brothers and sisters, this is a replay of the ascension of our Lord Jesus. We have said yesterday that when he was taken up, the disciples were looking at him then the cloud took him. They couldn't see him anymore. But we are assured that he has arrived, heaven, at the throne of God. How? Here is the proof: a lamb newly slain, but standing. This resurrection. this lamb, newly slain, he is worthy because he has overcome. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So the father handed to him the title deed of this world. He is the one who will execute the recovery, restitution of all things. Brothers and sisters, what marks the second coming of our Lord Jesus? As the Lamb of God marks his first coming, so the Lion of the tribe of Judah will mark his second coming. As grace is the characteristic of his first coming, a grace that is free for all, So, judgment will be the characteristic of his second coming. A lamb represents grace, but a lion represents judgment. Dear brothers and sisters, We like to hear the word grace. The more grace, the better. Free grace. But oftentimes, we make grace cheap. We don't understand what really grace is. We don't understand what sacrifice is behind the grace of God that is freely given to us. We don't understand what is the power of grace in turning us from such an ungracious person into a gracious man and woman. And brothers and sisters, we don't like to hear the word judgment. We consider it as a harsh word. But thank God. At his second coming, judgment characterizes his work. As a matter of fact, brothers and sisters, you cannot separate grace and judgment. Judgment and grace. They complement each other. We may say it this way. In one way, grace lays a foundation and judgment completes. The work. Or we may say that judgment prepares the way for grace. And grace is just the glory resulting from judgment. These two things cannot be separated. So I do hope, dear brothers and sisters, do do not be surprised. Do not be shocked. You are expecting grace, grace, more grace at his return. But no, his second coming is characterized by judgment. Judgment is not a bad word. Judgment is as good as a word as grace. Hopefully by the grace of God we may stand with God and appreciate both. We need grace. We need judgment. Without grace we cannot stand the judgment. Without judgment, we cannot enjoy grace. So, brothers and sisters, first of all, let us be very clear that as we think of his second coming, our thought should not be completely occupied with this matter of grace. Instead, instead, Our thought must be centered upon judgment and only judgment will complete the work that grace has begun. So now let us see through the word of God how his second coming will fulfill the eternal purpose of God. Now let us begin with the church. You know, dear brothers and sisters, we mentioned yesterday that our Lord Jesus During his first coming into this world, he came as a bridegroom, looking for his bride. But everywhere he went, everyone he met, was either a cripple, a blind, a leper, or even dead. Thank God. Our Lord Jesus began his work of grace, healing the deaf, the blind, open the eyes of the blind, ears of the dead. Make the cripple walk. The leper clean. The dead raised from the dead. Spiritually, yes. He saved us. Now, do you know why does he save you? Why does he save me? A person totally worthless, more than worthless. Why? That we may go to heaven, that we may enjoy ourselves. He saves us for himself. The purpose of his saving us is to transform us and make us to be like him that we may be his helpmate. That is the purpose. Of salvation. For this reason. He went. To the cross. And there on the cross. He finished the work. Of redemption. Then you remember in John chapter 19. John, the one whom the Lord loved, his disciple, was there watching the final scene of the death of our Lord Jesus. He saw the soldiers came. He saw the soldiers broke the legs of the two robbers on the one side, right side and left side, crucified together with our Lord, to, broke, to break their leg, to speed them to death. But one soldier came to our Lord Jesus. He saw the Lord was already gone. to make sure that our Lord Jesus was dead, he thrust his spear into the side of our Lord Jesus. And that spear drew out from the broken heart the last drop of love of blood and water. His blood was already disintegrated. John noticed it. And he said, I saw it. I testified to it. And my testimony is true. You must believe it. Why? Because the blood out of the sight of our Lord Jesus washes away our sins. The water that comes out with a spear is the life released that we may have life and life eternal. In other words, By the finished work of Christ on the cross, he prepared the materials for the building of the church, his bride. A people washed by his blood, a people lived by his life. That's the material for the church. you remember in Matthew chapter 16? Our Lord, looking forward to his crucifixion, and he asked this question to his disciples. At that time, he was rejected by the Jewish world. He retreated from Caesarea Philippi, the border, to a Gentile city. And he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, is? And then he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? You who know me, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, You are. The Christ, the anointed of God, the Son of God. And our Lord Jesus says, Simon Bajuna, you are blessed. Because this is not something the flesh, blood and flesh can know. This is something that the Father in heaven has revealed to you. You are Peter. You are a little stone now. I will build my church upon this massive rock. And that is the confession of Peter. The Christ, the Son of God. And the gates of Hades shall not prevent it. And, brothers and sisters, during the first coming of our Lord Jesus, he was just preparing for the material of the church, the bride. He said, I will build. But when will he be building? You know, there is a difference between gathering material and building this material together into a house. During the first coming of our Lord Jesus, the Lord is just preparing the materials. He said, I will build. But when? How? On the day of Pentecost, He sent the Holy Spirit to come. And in one spirit, Those who are his are baptized into one body. Neither Jews nor Gentiles. And a drink of one spirit. So, brothers and sisters, during the time after the ascension of our Lord Jesus, and he's coming back to receive his bride, What will he be doing? He will be building the church. He will be perfecting his bride. That's the work that our Lord Jesus is doing today. If you turn to the book of Revelation again, You'll find in Revelation chapter one, there is the Patmos vision that John saw. It is the vision of the risen Lord. John knew our Lord Jesus when he was on earth, and he knew him so intimately, he even lay at his bosom. But here he received a vision that he had never seen before. He saw the ascended Lord as the great high priest ministering in that heavenly sanctuary, ministering to his church. One like the Son of Man walking in the midst of seven golden lampstands. As our brother mentioned last night, the seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches in Asia. They are picked to represent the church at every age, every century, every generation. When our Lord was on earth, he was the prophet of God. There in heaven at the right hand of his Father, he is the great high priest of God. And this is our confession. You know, when we think of the high priesthood of our Lord Jesus, we usually think of his work in us individually. How he sympathizes with us. How he sustains us. How he saves us, even to the uttermost. Yes, that's all true. But brothers and sisters, here is a picture. Telling us he is the great high priest, ministering to the church. To the corporate body to that one who is to be built, to be fit to be his helpmate. He walked among the seven churches. He measured himself with the conditions of the seven churches. He saw what was wrong, what was right wrong not in the sense of the world in the sense of what people think wrong in the sense of not measuring up to himself right not in the sense what Peter consider as successful as right but right as being at one with what he is that's right That's building. He's building himself into his church. He's tending the lampstands. He's taking away that which has been burnt, scorched. He's supplying new oil to it. He's looking to it that the lambs will be bright and shiny for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, he say, I know you. I know everything you do. I know what you are lacking. What's wrong with you? Repent. If you do not repent, I will remove the lambs. Dear brothers and sisters, what is it? Judgment, grace, and judgment work together. Now you remember in First Peter, chapter four. In First Peter chapter four, we begin with verse seventeen. For the time of having the judgment begin from the house of God is come, but if first from us, what shall be the end of those who obey not the glad tidings of God? And if the righteous is difficultly saved, where shall the impious? and the sinners appear. You know, when you read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, that represents the whole history of the church. You find our Lord Jesus as the great high priest in ministering to the church, In going to grace, give grace to the church, he has to judge. Without judgment, there can be no grace. Without judgment, we will not understand what grace is. Without judgment, how can you know you're wrong? We always feel we are all right, even before we were saved. We think we were good. But when judgment came, we are judged by the Holy Spirit. And then we repent and receive grace. And the same thing is true. Brothers and sisters, we do not know where we are spiritually, But he knows. He is measuring us with himself. And when he sees something that does not agree with him, he judges. His Holy Spirit, who dwells in each one of us, will prick our conscience. We make us uneasy, put us under judgment so that that judgment will bring us into repentance and receive grace. Brothers and sisters, that's the way preparing for the second coming of our Lord Jesus. It is true, we are now in the period of grace. As people say, one day, the day of grace will be over, and judgment will come. That's true. But to the church, the judgment has already begun in the house of God. Who can deny when you read Revelation 2 and 3, the judgment has not begun yet. It is true so far as dispensation is concerned. Judgment one day will come. This is the day of grace, not the day of judgment. But one day will be day of judgment, not of grace. Now, that's true, dispensationally speaking. But spiritually speaking, and thank God, judgment begins with the house of God. Will you please turn to First Corinthians chapter 11? There you find the apostle Paul. He's talking about the breaking of bread. Thank God. Our Lord Jesus before his death He instituted that breaking of bread. He wants us to remember him. And when the Corinthian believers met together to break the bread to remember the Lord, the apostle Paul warned them. And there in chapter 20, 11 verse 28, but let a man prove himself and then and thus eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the eater and drinker eats and drinks judgment to himself, not distinguishing the body. On this account, many among you are weak and infirm, and a great many are falling asleep. But if we judge ourselves, so will we not judged. But being judged We are disciplined of the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Now here you find this word judgment a number of times. But if you read very carefully, actually you find the word judgment in these few verses. In the original Greek, there are two different words. One word, judgment, means the sentence of the judge, which is judicial. And that's something that we are all afraid of. And the other word means distinguish. Deserve examine. Look in verse thirty one. But if we judge ourselves, the word judge here is the same word as you find in verse twenty. 9, in verse, no, in verse 29, yes. For the eater and drinking bring judgment to himself, not distinguishing the body. In other words, in verse 31, the first word, if we judge ourselves, the word is the same as the word distinguishing the body distinguish it is to discern so in other words we need to discern we need to distinguish we need to prove ourselves examine ourselves now if we do that that we will not be judged and the judge there is the judgment sentence of a judge and being judged, we are disciplined of the Lord. So in other words, you find judgment begins with the house of God. And this judgment carries with it a meaning. A meaning of distinguishing, discerning, proving, Examining, disciplining, chastening. Brothers and sisters, in judgment there is a special sense. And the sense is the sense of chastisement. In Hebrews chapter 12, you find that how a father was chastised chastises his son. And the reason why he chastises his son is to make him a man. It is not for condemnation. It is for child training. So, brothers and sisters, judgment must begin with the house of God. What does it mean? It means, first of all, Our Lord is our God, our Father, because he loves us so much. If he sees something that is not agreeing to his own character, something that is damaging to us, then he will discipline us. He will child train us. He will chastise us. He will make us feel uneasy. He will prick our conscience. He will enable us to judge ourselves and repent before God. So you find that such judgment is unto sonship. Such judgment is not unto condemnation. Thank God, brothers and sisters, So far as we, the children of God, are concerned, so far as the church is concerned, when our Lord Jesus judges the church, he judges not for our condemnation. He judges that we may discern, we may understand, we may be chastised, that we may repent, we may learn the lesson, we may be obedient, and we may be transformed. Now, that's the word judgment. And this judgment is already, already beginning in the house of God. Now, is it not true, so far as our personal experience is concerned? After you have believed in the Lord Jesus, Do you think that he who loves you so much will leave you alone to live as whatever you like to live? Certainly not. That's indulgence. And indulgence will corrupt life. Discipline will build up life. So our Heavenly Father will truly discipline us And the word discipline can also be said, judge us. Now, you don't like the word judge. Neither do you like the word discipline. But it's necessary. Now, personally, this is true. Otherwise, we would never grow up. Otherwise, the church would never be built. Thank God for his discipline. Discipline is his way of judging us in order that we may be purified, in order that we may repent, in order that we may turn back to him. And that is the purpose behind that judgment. Brothers and sisters, I believe our brother Dana, who will be speaking tonight, he will tell us more about this. But I just want to say this, do not despise the discipline of the Lord, because this is the way he builds his church. And those who receive that discipline they are the overcomers. And they are the one whom the Lord when he comes he will steal away to himself because they have made themselves ready for him. He who refuses the discipline the judgment of God will be left behind. But thank God the great tribulation of three years and a half is another chance. You can be an overcomer, even out of the great tribulation. But when the great tribulation is over, then, as First, First Thessalonians chapter four says the trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ will be first raised. And those who remain behind will change. And all will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And there will be the judgment seat of Christ to decide Who is worthy to inherit the coming kingdom? Brothers and sisters, it's very sobering. Thank God we will not go through the great white throne, a judgment of death and eternal life. Our Lord has undertaken that for us. But that doesn't mean that we will not be judged if we are judged today we won't be judged at the judgment seat of Christ brothers and sisters the reason is he wants us to to be completed he wants every one of us to be an overcomer every one of us to be like him and that is eternal purpose That's what you see in Revelation chapter 21. The new Jerusalem. So, brothers and sisters, this is the process. And it is through judgment that he will bring everything to the fulfillment of his eternal purpose. Concerning the church, And the same thing is concerning Israel. Let's turn to Jeremiah 47. Jeremiah 47. We'll read from verse 27 through verse 28. Uh, 26, Jeremiah 26, verse 27 to 28. But thou, my servant Jacob, fear not, neither be dismayed, Israel, for behold, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return. And be at rest, in rest, and at ease, and none shall make him afraid. Fear thou not my servant, Jacob? Say Jehovah, I am with thee, and I will make a full end of all the nations whither I have driven thee. But I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee with judgment, and I will not hold thee altogether guiltless. Today, the children of Israel are in fear. They are afraid that the nation of Israel will be eliminated. That is what the enemy is trying to do. But thank God for his promise. He said one day he will deliver them. Because he is faithful to his promise. One day he will give the new covenant to them, unfortunately, because of the unbelief, Israel is partly, as it were, set aside. But then God is returning to them. He will judge them. And through judgment, they will repent. Look at Zechariah. You know the prophet prophecy of Zechariah. As a matter of fact, from chapter 12 to chapter 14, these few chapters are centered upon the destiny, the final stage of the nation of Israel. We do not have the time to go over it. But I will just read a few verses. We'll begin with chapter 12 verse 8. In that day, that is the day when all the nations of the world will gather their armies around Palestine for that last battle. And in that day will Jehovah defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that stumbled among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David as God, as the angel of Jehovah before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look on me whom they pierce, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for an only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness in his firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great morning at Jerusalem, as the morning of Hadad-Rimon in the valley, and Middodon. And the land shall moon, every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives appeared. Apart, All the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. Chapter 13. In that day, they shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Israel for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, say Jehovah the host, that I will cut off the names of the idols of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out in the land, and it shall come to pass, and so on and so forth. So, brothers and sisters, we do thank the Lord that one day all Israel shall be saved. And that's through judgment. Judgment brings in grace as grace enable us to pass through judgment. And the same thing is true with the world. You know, Revelation from chapter 5 to chapter 19, actually, is describing how our Lord opened the seals exposing the plan of God In bringing this world, this kingdom of this world, into the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And that's going on, and that will be soon fulfilled. As to the fate of Satan, in Revelation chapter 20, we find that he will be bound and thrown into the bottomless pit. And he will be kept there for a thousand years. And during those thousand years, there will be the golden age, the kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of the heavens upon the earth. And then finally, you'll find, after the thousand years over, Satan will be bound and throw into the lake of fire. And that is the scene that we are talking about in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Brothers and sisters, all the eternal purpose of God concerning his son, concerning the church, concerning Israel, concerning the world, concerning Satan and his evil forces, will all be brought into the end. All the purpose of God, even before the foundation of the world, shall be fulfilled. And look at that glorious scene. Brothers and sisters, Revelation 21-22 is the final scene, eternal scene of God's created world. I believe when we read Revelation 21 and 22, Probably our attention will be focused on still on ourselves. We are to be those who compose the Holy City, the new Jerusalem that descends upon this new earth. We are to walk on that golden street. Yes, we are to worship and to serve our Lord. But, brothers and sisters, our attention is still on ourselves. No, by that time, we won't do that. When you read that wonderful, glorious scene, of that eternity to come, of that new heaven and a new earth, of that new Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, what do you see? You see the glory of God, the glory of Christ. He Is the temple. He is the light. He, his, is the throne. His is the glory. That wonderful new Jerusalem, when you look at it, the glory is the glory of No wonder his servants shall serve him eternally with love. Oh, brothers and sisters, here you'll find the consummation of all the works of God fulfilling his eternal purpose. By his mercy and grace, all that he has done Not because of us, because of Him. We shall all be incorporated in that new Jerusalem. All the works of God throughout the centuries, the Old Testament time and the New Testament time, will be all gathered together there. Because the foundation is the foundation of the twelve names of the apostles. But the gates are the names of the tribe of Israel. Nothing is lost. You hear the voice. I have made all things new. It is finished. May we bow. Dear Lord, we praise and thank Thee. It is by Thy grace and judgment Thou hast brought all things to Thyself. Thou shalt be worshipped and served eternally. Thy glory shall fill We worship.